Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this special day, spending a part of this special holiday weekend with us here at Cedar Creek. And whether you're doing that in person at one of our campuses or you're connecting online, either way, we really are glad that you're here. You know, today is the celebration of love. This is the day the world sets aside to celebrate love, and we do that by exchanging cards and chocolates. We buy flowers at three times the price they were just a week ago, right? And and if we weren't in the middle of a pandemic tonight, restaurants all throughout our community would be packed with couples celebrating candlelight dinners. It is the season of love. But, But here's the thing. If you really stop and think about it, as much as we think Valentine's is a celebration of love, what it really is is a celebration of romance. And romance and love are very different things. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not anti-romance. I think romance is a great thing. In fact, I believe God uses romance It's through romance that God allows two people who are completely opposite and incompatible to be temporarily insane enough to believe that they can live happily ever after together. You know, romance is a part of love, but it's not really the heart of love. See, romance is all about emotions and feelings, but love is a verb. Love is about action. Love is about the choice to put the needs of another ahead of your own. In fact, notice what the Bible says in 1 John 3, 18. It says, dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other, but let us show the truth by our what? What's that word? Actions, right? See, when you look at the hallmark romantic version of love, it just seems so easy. You know, just that natural chemistry between soulmates who who come together and live happily ever after, but real love is hard work. Those of you that have been married for any length of time know exactly what I'm talking about. A wise man once said that a marriage license is really just a work permit. Because love takes work. That's why whenever I officiate a wedding, I always say to the couple as a part of the ceremony that having a good marriage is not a matter of luck or chance or because you magically met the perfect person for you. It is work. It is commitment. It is a willingness day in and day out to put the needs of another ahead of yourself. But we need to understand that that's not just true in our marriages. It's true in the relationships with everyone in our lives. It takes work to love your kids. And kids, it takes work to love your parents. It takes work to love your coworkers. It takes work to love your siblings. It takes work to love your neighbors. So what I want to do for the next few minutes is explore some ways we can work on how we love others. We can reboot the way you love. You know, last week we talked about 
rebooting our minds the way we think. Because if you want to change your life, you have to change the way you think. Today, I want to talk about rebooting your relationships. Because if you want to change your relationships, you have to change the way you love the people in your relationships. See, most of us think to reboot our relationships, we need to work on changing the person we're in a relationship with, right? If we can work on fixing them, getting them to change the things that get on our nerves, make the steps they need to make in order, then our relationship would be good. And eventually, if those people don't change, we will exchange them for someone else. And see, many of us run through life bouncing from relationship to relationship, never really realizing that the person we needed to change was us. Not because we're all of the problem, but because we are the only person we can change. And so I want to look at three keys, three practical ways to reboot the way you love. You may want to write these down. Number one, the first thing you have to do to reboot the way you love is recognize God's love for you. Recognize God's love for you. Why is that important? Because you can't love others well until you truly accept and experience God's love for you. Because you can't give away what you don't have. In fact, notice, shortly after John writes these words that we just read about not just loving each other with words but by our actions, notice what he says in the very next chapter, 1 John 4. He says, and as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. Paul's right there. Do you see what he's saying? Do you see that connection between our relationship with God and our ability to love others better? Why? What does God's love have to do with the way I love others? We'll look back at the verse. John writes, for such love has no fear. Because perfect love, and by the way, that's God's love, because he's the only one that loves perfectly. Perfect love, God's love, expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. Paul's right there. You see what he's saying? If you think you are on the performance track to earn God's love, then you will put the people in your life on the performance track to earn your love. But as you recognize the unconditional love of God, it frees you up to love others. And that's why John concludes with this last sentence. We love each other because he first loved us. See, not only does God's love give you the strength to love the people in your life. And not only does God's love give you the ability to love the people in your life, but God's love gives you the security to love the people in your life. Because real love is scary. To really love someone is to put yourself in a very vulnerable position. You have to make yourself vulnerable. If love is putting the needs of another ahead of your own, then doing that begs the question, who's going to take care of my needs? Who's going to have my back? The answer, God does. 
And the more you realize how much God really loves you, the easier it becomes, the more secure and free you become to love others well, regardless of their response. Maybe I should put it this way. The deeper your vertical relationship with God becomes, the better your horizontal relationships with other people will become. You know, last week we talked about thoughts drive our behavior. We do the things we do because we think the way we think. And that is the reason Jesus talks so often about fruit in your life. The fruit showing what's in here in your actions, in your behaviors. That's not only true of your thoughts and your choices, it's also true about love. I mean, Jesus makes this point pretty clear, John 13, 35. He says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. In other words, he's saying, the fruit of you understanding and living in my love is seen in the actions you make in loving others. See, following Jesus, it's not about cleaning up your act and becoming a better behaved person. It's about allowing Jesus to transform your heart. And as he transforms your heart with his love, it frees you up to love others well because you know how well God loves you. All right, so let's get really practical with this. You've probably heard me say before that one of the reasons many of us struggle in our relationships is that we are often trying to get from others what God has already given to us, right? One of the reasons we have a lot of tension in our relationships is because we all desire security. We all want to feel safe and secure. And we try to find that security in a spouse, a child, a parent, a friend. And when we do, we put tension in that relationship because only God can provide ultimate security in our lives. We do it with acceptance, right? We all crave acceptance. We all want to feel valued that our life matters, that we are respected. And when we try to demand that from others and try to get that all the time, they're imperfect people. And there are going to be times when they let us down. And that puts tension in the relationship. But God is always accepting. We often look for grace and forgiveness in others. And sometimes they give it, but sometimes they don't. Or sometimes it takes them a long time to give it. And our desire to get from them what is only meant to come from God causes us to put tension in the relationship. But the more you trust in God's love, or maybe I should say it this way, the more you live your life in God's love, the better you're going to be at loving God. Others. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to think of one relationship in your life that has tension in it right now. That's probably hard to do. It's hard to narrow it down to one, probably all of our relationships. But which relationship? One relationship right now that has some tension in it. You got it? You got that person in mind? Now ask yourself this question What is one thing I am seeking from them? that God has already given me? What am I looking for them to provide that truly only God can provide? 
Because if you want to reboot your love, if you really want to get better at loving others, you have to recognize, live in, experience God's love for you. That's the first step, but it doesn't end there. The second thing we have to do to reboot the way you love is to reflect God's love in the way you love others. To reflect God's love in the way you love others. It's not just allowing God's love to free you up to love others, but it's about giving that love to others. To love others the way God loves us. Jesus was asked one day, what is the most important thing in life? What is the one thing life is all about? What is the thing that we should get right? What is the one thing, Jesus? And Jesus' answer was, it's not one thing, it's two things. Notice, Matthew 22. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then Jesus said, a second is equally important. Now, only Jesus could say number two is equal to number one, but he says it is. They're the same. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, Jesus connected our love for God and our love for others. He connected them together because they go together. You can't have one without doing the other. You can't say, I love God, and then be mean to the people that God has placed in your life. Stephen Arterburn, the author and relationship expert, put it this way. He said, love must be directed toward God and provided to others in forms that resemble God. We have to love others the way God loves us. So how does God love us? Well, there are many ways, but there are some that are very obvious. One, God loves us with a sacrificial love. Think about what he gave up to be in relationship with us, right? Not just leaving the perfection of heaven and entering the broken broken messiness of our world and our lives, but he literally gave his life. He gave everything up for us. The Bible says, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not when we had it together, not when we were making good positive steps. In our worst moment, in our darkest day, Jesus Christ sacrificed himself as an expression of his love. God loves us sacrificially, so we should love others sacrificially. God also loves us through his acceptance. His unconditional acceptance. It's not based on our performance. We should love others that way, but we don't. We often withhold love from others until they get their act together. Then we might love them. But that's not how God loves us, and that is not how we are to love others if we're going to reflect God's love. What's that old saying? God loves you right where you are. But it doesn't stop there. It says God loves you right where you are, but he loves you too much to leave you where you are. That's why a third way that God loves us is through truth and accountability. He speaks truth to us and holds us accountable. 
That's what God's word is. The Bible is not just a list of rules of do's and don'ts. It is an expression of God's love for us. That God wants to lead us in the path of life that works. And to keep us, put up guardrails in our lives to keep us from running our lives off the cliff. And so if God loves us through truth and accountability, then we need to love each other through speaking the truth and holding each other accountable. That's why the Bible says speaking the truth in love to each other, we will grow up to be more like Christ. Listen, sometimes the, the most loving thing you can do is have that hard conversation with that person who's headed down the wrong path. Sometimes the most loving thing you can do is put healthy boundaries in your life and the life of the people closest to you. It is an expression of love. Truth expresses love. A fourth way that God shows his love to us is through forgiveness. God forgives us when we mess up, when we fail, when we fall. That's why Jesus, when he wanted to paint a picture of us, for us of what God's love was really like, he told that great parable of the prodigal son. The arrogant son who spit in his father's face and turned his back and went and lived in a pigsty. But Jesus said the moment that boy came to his senses, the moment he got up and turned his back, repented, walked away from the, the mistakes, the failure, the filth. In that moment, the father restored him not just to a servant in the house, but fully restored him to being a son and all that means. God loves us through forgiveness. And if those are the ways that God loves us, then we need to reflect that in the way we love others. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know, we hear that phrase and we immediately think about, you know, the person across the street or the coworker in the other cubicle, or the person in our home group, or, or that stranger we pass on the street. That's what we think loving our neighbor means. And yes, those are our neighbors. But don't forget, na loving your neighbor starts with the people in your own home. It starts with the person you share bed with. It starts with your children. It starts with your parents. It starts with your siblings. Loving your neighbor starts in those closest to you. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to think of the person that you are closest to right now. The person that you're in the closest relationship with. And guys, if you're married, that's your wife, okay? I don't want you to make the mistake there. But if you're not married, who are you close to? Who's that closest relationship in your life? You got them in your head? Got it? You're thinking about them? Now, Here's what I want you to do. I want you to think of one way that you could love that person this week that reflects the way that God loves you. Maybe there's a sacrifice you can make that would help them. Maybe there's something in their life that you need to just learn to accept. Maybe there's a truth, a hard conversation you need to have. Maybe there's a boundary you need to place. Maybe there's something in the past that you need to forgive because they've repented and they're no longer doing that. I don't know what it is. I just know if you're going to reboot your love, you have to reflect 
your love to others the way God loves you. You gotta recognize God's love for you. And then number three, the third thing you have to do to reboot your love is to respond to God's love with obedience. Respond to God's love with obedience. See, in the same way that we show love to others, not with our words, but by our actions, we show our love for God through our obedience to him. The last night that Jesus was with his disciples before his arrest and crucifixion, in this very intimate moment, Jesus does one of the strangest things I've ever seen. He gets up from the table, the Bible says. He takes off the master's robe and he puts a servant's towel around his waist. And then he takes a basin of water and a pitcher and one by one he kneels before those disciples and washes their feet. See, we see that, and that's such a weird thing to wash somebody's feet. But in that culture, it was an everyday occurrence. It was a basic need when you entered someone's home because you walked dirty, filthy roads that were shared with animals, and you walked those roads either barefooted or with open sandals, and so your your feet were filthy and they stink, and, and you didn't want to carry that into somebody's house. So any house you went into... By the entrance, there's a pitcher, a basin, and a towel. And the person that was tasked with washing the feet was always the lowest servant on the totem pole. It was like the worst job, like you were new or whatever, or you were being punished. You were the foot washer. Because, you know, that's nasty. I mean, have you seen the feet of some of the people you live with? Right? They're not pleasant to wash. And if a family wasn't wealthy enough to have servants... That job usually fell to the youngest child to do that. It's the worst job. And yet here is Jesus, their master, their redeemer, their hero, their teacher, their rabbi, their savior, God in the flesh, washing their feet. It's an incredible picture. And then shortly after Jesus expresses his love through that action, I want you to look at what he says to them. John 14, 23. It says, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and they will come and we will come to them and make our home with them. You see what Jesus is saying? You express your love to me through obedience to me. I've expressed it through washing your feet, through giving it all for you. You express love back to me through obedience. Your greatest expression of love for God will not be in the songs you sing on Sunday or the pretty little words you pray to him before you go to bed. It will be the steps of obedience you're willing to take. God's love for us is unquestioned. I don't know any Christians who don't believe that God loves us. He's not the problem. The question is, do we love him back? And we express that love back through our obedience to him. Now listen, two key things you need to understand about obedience. And this is huge. You need to understand, first of all, obedience is not the route to God's love. It is the result of 
God's love. Obedience is not the way we get God to love us more. Obedience is the response to how much God has just blown us away with his love for us. The second thing you need to understand about your obedience is it is not for God's benefit. It is for your benefit. Obedience, God's not sitting up in heaven going, oh, I need them to be obedient, you know, because it makes me feel a certain way. God needs nothing. He is 100% self-sufficient. And so our obedience is not about us doing God a favor. It is for our benefit. Why? Because a life of obedience leads you to the path of the life you were meant to live. Obedience is the path to that peace that passes understanding. Obedience is that path to a life of purpose and meaning. It's through obedience. Jesus said, a thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. In fact, again, notice Jesus' words, Matthew 7, 24. Everyone who hears my words and obeys them is like a wise man who built his house on rock. What are you building your house on? What are you building your life on? Are you building it on the things of this world? Are you building it on a bank account or a retirement account? Are you building your life on the empty praise of others? Are you building your life on the things that, if we've not learned anything this past year, how fragile and weak the stuff of the world is? If these last 11 months haven't taught you anything, surely you can see that the things we thought were stable, the things we thought we could depend on, are nothing but facades. What are you building your life on? There's no greater foundation to build your life on than obedience to God's word. And there's no better way to be obedient to God than to love others. Because love is our highest purpose and it is the greatest thing in life. Let me close with this last verse on your outline from 1 Corinthians. Paul says, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these, the greatest of these is love. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for the overwhelming clarity of your word. That we don't have to guess, we don't have to wonder, we don't have to debate theological issues. We can know that your love for us is never in question. You gave it all for us. So, Father, help us to respond to that in the way we love others. Maybe you're here today or watching online, and you're starting to realize that the reason you struggle in your relationships with others is because you don't fully experience God's love in your life. 
you know all the Bible answers. You've checked off all the religious boxes. You've been dunked. You've been sprinkled. You've got certificates, but it's just been intellectual ideas. It's never transformed your heart. And so maybe for you, that step of obedience today is that first step of truly trusting in God, of truly surrendering to the one whose love for you is unconditional and unquestioned. Maybe today for you is to get up out of that pig pen and head towards home. He welcomes you home. And begin to allow him to transform your heart with his truth. Maybe you're here today and you've experienced that love. You live in that love but you've allowed the stuff of life to get in the way of living in the freedom of his love. So maybe today for you, it's that step to remember how much he loves you and then live in obedience to express your love back to him and to reflect his love in the way you love the people that he's put right in your life. Father, would you move among us right now? Would you move among your people at all of our campuses, in homes and cars, wherever people are today? Pour out your spirit, Lord, so that we would be transformed to truly live a life of loving others. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.